Hello, everyone. Since this is either a highlight, a standalone book, or the first episode in a series, I'm jumping in to remind you what the rules are for this podcast. First rule is, no real people stories. That means that any details from our own lives are merely anecdotal, we do not read books about real people, and we are not reading historical fiction. The second rule is that we are basing our analyses off of how the author treats characters and what they put them through. We are not judging the accuracy of the trauma, the accuracy of any actual conditions that may be portrayed, nor the authenticity of a character's reaction to that trauma or that particular condition. This podcast is for entertainment purposes only. The hosts are not trained professionals, and their opinions come solely from personal experience. In this episode, we discuss fictional depictions of trauma and violence that may not be suitable for all audiences. Please take care of yourselves. Specific content warnings for each episode can be found in the show notes. Events in the media are discussed in approximate order of escalation. This episode contains spoilers. Jakes is a book about family, friends, the bonds that keep us together, get us through hard times, and surviving an epidemic. Hi, I'm Nicole. And I'm Robin. And welcome to Books That Burn. We are discussing Salamandastron. Ah, it's a really, really good series. We're doing this as a standalone book. It is part of the Redwall series universe. universe. <laughs> yeah. You can read many of the books can be read separately from the rest of the series with little to no um, detriments involved. Yeah. And this is one of them. Factions. We have at Salamandastron, which is a mountain. Uh, we have Badger Lord Earthstripe, Mara and Pickle Folger. Well, Mara and Pickle Folger. They're they're not <laughs> not the same person. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Sergeant Sapwood and Oxeye. At Redwall Abbey we have Abbas Vale, Bremen, Brother Hollyberry, Throg and Thruggen. Same dude. Throg is his nickname. No, 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 nope. Throg is the sister. Sorry, Throg Throg is the brother, Thruggen is the oh sister. My gosh. They're twins. They're twins. I forgot about that. They're otter twins, Throg and Thruggen. Sampkin and Arula, and then Baby Dumble. Uh, Dumble is actually uh, telling this entire story as an old person, which is fun. Uh, <laughs> I yeah, I like that actually. <laughs> I like that it's yeah. his point of view. Yep. Uh, we have Logalog. Oh, uh, in the Gossam Shrews, we have Logalog and Nordo. In the Corpse Makers, it's a lovely name. We have Ferhega the Assassin. We have Klitsch and Gotha, Dingai and Thura. With the birds, we have Rokangus the Falcon and his father, Laird MacTallan. And then we have the eagle, Wild King MacPherson. Then on the island, we have Earthwhite and Lombud. And you should see the names we decided not to read for the factions list, because... <laughs> Uh, These yeah, books we are character dense. No minor character goes unnamed. Uh, <laughs> no minor character goes without a life story. I'm gonna go ahead and expand it to that. Yeah. Ugh. Yep. All right. <laughs> no minor character is without a full character portrayal. Yep. Even if it's something as simple as this is what kind of creature they are, and they yes or no. Fit, fit their character uh, they stereotype. They do or do not fit, fit the species stereotype. Yeah. yeah. Minimum, you get that. All right. Okay. So our first topic um, is, is um, it, it's an interest. Fever. We're doing slightly a different take on this one. So our our first topic is, is dry ditch fever, which has in, in game, in, I'm going to say in game, in book, <laughs> it has, a a cure that the abbey dwellers kind of see almost as a as a legend they think it might be a thing they can go get but maybe it doesn't exist and during this story 
um, there are Abbey dwellers getting sick and dying of fever, but we aren't actually talking about them. So, um, yeah. And, and there might, there will probably be another book with a plague that we'll end up talking about the people going through the plague. But this is, this is specifically, we're talking about two characters who heard it was dry ditch fever and were so honestly traumatized about the idea of dying of this fever already that they voted to go off on the quest for the item that may or may not exist through a place that they may or may not live through to be the ones to get bring the cure back because they didn't want to be around the sickness. Without, by the way, knowing if they were already infected or not. Yeah, I was thinking about that a lot, that yeah. they didn't know if they already had it. And yep. one of them, as we mentioned, is Dumble, and referred to him Dumble as Baby Dumble. Baby. <laughs> He's a baby. He's adorable. Uh, He is the one telling this story once he is an old dormouse. He is telling this to a young mole uh, in the framing device. But it's adorable. It's... uh. Anyway, I love Dumble. Dumble's great. Dumble is... He he spends so much of the rest of the quest being just like fearless and like, (laughs) yeah, Thrug, go! Get them. Do, yeah. do all the things. Yeah, I'm not afraid of a heagle. Like, <laughs> I'm not gonna die if Mr. Thrug is here to keep me safe. Yeah, like, yeah. that's that's actually a really important thing to note, I think. that So Thrug is this big, bad, burly otter who is kind of, kind of seen as almost a, a protective... I mean, otters in general tend to be characterized in Redwall as, like, staunch protectors of other species, but if, Especially if, you're not drug. Already, if you're not already familiar with these books, imagine, like, muscle-tattooed guy maybe works on, like, a shop floor or something, is best buds with, like... If you play League of Legends, year old, yeah. If like, you play League of Legends, if you play League of Legends, Brom is an otter, except Brom is too burly and not lean enough. Yeah, this is not otter in the yeah. queer sense. This is no. Different. This is an actual is just- animal. Yeah. Um, yeah. So, uh. so if you think about it, Thrug is this this big burly, this big kind hearted burly shielded protector who you know like robin said makes friends with children and is the group babysitter but also would be the front person on the lines literally to lay his life down for the abbey oh and on the makes friends with children front it's completely non-creepy they all live together in one communal dwelling oh yeah this this abbey yeah he's just one of the babysitters he is the babysitter that the babies relate to and like trust and care about um and there's multiple but he's like that's his character who he is like he'd be in a big brother's big sisters program or something oh absolutely he would he would volunteer to be that person and be the most wholesome and the most positive influence ever yeah and but he's this big burly staunch protector and even the potential of this plague because they it's not even it's not even confirmed by the time he leaves it's like we think this is what's happening, but we've had one person sick so far, so we'll see. And he immediately goes, nope, I volunteer to go through the woods and up into the mountains where we Redwallers don't want to travel because it's dangerous, because I don't want to be anywhere near here and I can't handle plague and we're all going to die and I can't die by plague. Please send me on a quest. <laughs> and, yeah. and in conjunction to him, so he doesn't actually... I do want to point out for anyone who has not read the book and is listening anyway, or is partaking of our our podcast anyway, he does not take an eight-year-old with him on purpose. (laughs) So what happens is- Dumble stows away. Dumble, Dumble, (laughs) yeah. I I don't even, does he even stow away or does he just like- Follow Uh, him. I think maybe he- he, I think he follows him. He hid in the bushes or something. Like, there was no vehicle to stow away no. in, and he didn't like Thrug that's what he was attempting. Yeah, and Thrug would have noticed if he was, like, in his backpack or something. Like, no. I think Thrug, I think we get, like, Thrug stops to sleep, and he wakes up, and, and he starts to move, and Dumble, like, tumbles out of the bushes, like, I'm going too! And Thrug's like, wait, but you're a child, I cannot take a child. And, and Dumble basically goes... But I'm terrified that I'm going to die. Please don't leave me alone. You're the person I trust to keep me safe. And Thrugus just kind of has to weigh this in his head of like, 
do I send this infant door? Well, he's not an infant, but this baby dormouse back to die by plague, or do I take him with me where he might die by anything else? <laughs> and he kind of makes that decision of, you know what? I'm not going to send him back to die where he would be terrified and feeling alone and abandoned. Instead, I'm going to take him with me. And so, but but then Dumble spends that whole, like Robin is saying, Dumble spends the whole time being brave and fierce and get him, Mr. Thrug, and like, you know, he's a baby and they get attacked a couple times and he has his own little stick and he's swinging it around like, you won't take me. And like, he's super, he's just a fearless little child. And so you have these two characters, and an adult and a child that are both characterized as being incredibly fear- fearless and incredibly like self-contained and, and just just really, really sure of that they're going to be okay and that they can help other people be okay. And both of them are terrified of dying by this thing. It's just this very, like, you know, I don't know. There's, there's so much. I actually really like it because there's there's so many times in books where that fearless character ends up being the person that you see tragically die so others can live. And that's definitely not the case in this book. But also, like, their fears are, are validated. Um, I found in the book where how Dumple joined him, he perfect. was kind of following him in the side along the bushes <laughs> and then ran into a snake and yelled for help. Oh, that's right. <laughs> yeah, like, he's, yeah, it, yeah, Dumble is, is great. Um, but no, I, the thing that I think is important as far as these characters, for me personally, and then Robin, if you have something that's, yep, you think is different, uh, I think it's very, very important that these characters' fears are taken seriously and they're not told to get over it. Um, like, they're they're acknowledged and, and, you know, treated incredibly respectfully. Like, Big Burly Otter says, hey, I'm terrified to die by this thing. Not a single person says, well, all of us are terrified to die too, or anyone could die, you have to stay, or maybe you're not the best equipped to go. Like, they actually started out trying, like, before he said he was scared of dying, they were actually trying to, when he tried to volunteer, they basically said, hey, we're going to let other people go because they might be better equipped to find this thing. And he goes, guys, please don't make me stay here because I'm, I'm absolutely terrified. And immediately, everybody else who's in that conversation says, oh, okay, then you go. Don't we're not yeah. going to force you to stay here and 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 be traumatized even if you live, and and again he he had that moment where this baby comes out to him and says, "Please don't send me back. I don't want to die either." And he's the adult, and he has to decide: Am I going to send you back into the plague, or am I now responsible for your safety as well as the flowers? The cure is a flower, by the way. <laughs> yeah, it's a flower. Flower um, boiled in spring water. Yeah, and. And he, as the adult, had that moment where he could either support the kid and say, no, I, I understand, I'm scared too, and take responsibility for him. Or he could he could essentially abandon him and say, no, sorry, you have to go back to the Abbey. And he didn't. He said, you know what? You're in danger either way. I'll be responsible for your safety. I'm not sending you back to be terrified while you're dying. Come with me. The other me. thought that I had is, he like, he is a fighter. He's like... Like yeah. he, he goes fishing and he does all this like super physical stuff. And so having this, I think enemy is an appropriate word in this case, yeah. having this enemy that he just can't see and he can't mm. fight and he can't punch and he can't <laughs> shoot with a sling or anything yeah. that he, he, he says, you know what? Give me something I can punch, give me something I can go find. You know what? Yeah. Flowers, I'll go, I don't know what these flowers look like, I'm gonna go find them. He even, like, basically says that. Yeah. Like, paraphrasing. But he's like, I'm gonna go find a flower, because I can do more good than sitting around being terrified that I'm gonna die. Yeah. Um, I think he captured that idea pretty well. Yeah. Samkin and Arula. Our topic is false accusation, kind of. It's got a little bit of a hitch because they are accused of troublemaking and murder, despite not always doing the specific bad thing, but they've almost always done something. Uh, Samkin, yeah. Samkin 
did not murder Brother Hal. That was more of um. There's so many things where beast is used instead of the word man, uh, but saying beast slaughter is what happened doesn't quite sound right either. Um, <laughs> oh, that, oh, you're looking instead of manslaughter? Yeah. Let's just so, call it murder. <laughs> well, yeah, it was not intentional, but it's so like second degree ah. or whatever. They don't have these terms for this. No. Anyway, um, the vermin who was temporarily staying there at the abbey, uh, the dinga. Dingai and Thura. One yeah. of them, they were playing around with the bow and arrow. They accidentally killed Brother Hal. Yeah. And then we have the classic sitcom, Stumble Stumbles In, sees Sam holding the bow because he had just found the body, picked up the bow, and was distraught. Yeah. Someone comes in, sees him, and is like, Samkin, how could you? And then he leaves <laughs> because he is freaked out. All this to say he and Arula then leave, promising to go get the sword back that was taken. And it's it's weird because the people at the Abbey almost immediately are like, oh, no, they totally didn't do this. It was these two who also vanished and vanished first. Yeah. So they get accused of this, like, terrible, awful thing. And then before anybody can actually apologize to them, they've left to try and go fix the part of it that is fixable. Namely, getting back the sword that was stolen. Yeah, it's not going to bring Brother Hal back. No. Uh, yeah, this is a weird topic because, well, do you have, do you have thoughts on it? You want to go first? Yeah, uh, one of the thoughts that I have is that it's a very... So these these are these are books that are about moral ambiguity. And so there will be a lot of morals that are just like said and like, oh, it's totally like this. Then if you watch what happens in the books, it's more complicated than that. And Mm -hmm. it's a theme throughout this whole series. And so in this particular spot, someone in anger and frustration and sorrow accuses Sam of being there of being the one to kill brother Hal because he's standing over him with a bow but also like a bow is a weapon where it would have happened from far away which means he would have had to have come up to brother well, Hal and still be standing uh, with the bow like it's not impossible now, just that I mean he could have killed him and then walked up oh sure there's like, nothing stopping been... that and also we don't know what kind of boat was there are bows that are they're not they're not hand length Weaponry, we know, but they're very close range, and we know that the vermin were shooting it kind of far away, and it arced up and over and came down and killed him. Is how yes. it's described. Yes, so but that this bow that is, is capable n- of some range. It, I mean, yeah, it's capable. Yeah, and I'm not saying it's not capable of range. I'm just saying that like there is nothing that stops a bow being pointed at you point blank, and there's also nothing That's that would true. have stopped him from walking again, walking up to see what happened. Or see who My he main hit or whatever. point is, it feels like a very like terrible. I don't know. <laughs> I I I intensely dislike, and honestly, this is a big part of why I I just don't watch sitcoms. I I don't like them personally. The thing that I don't like about them is situational misunderstandings, where if everybody paused and just talked to each other for about a minute, you could avoid the rest of the episode. And yeah, this feels like one of those where Sam, Ken, and Arola, maybe they would have still gone on the quest to get the sword because that's an important thing. We've got mm-hmm. like spooky vision stuff from Martin the Warrior. If you're not reading the series, don't worry about that. <laughs> They've got spooky vision stuff. So they're going to go on this quest, but they could have gone without thinking that everyone in the Abbey thinks that Sam murdered somebody. And all they needed to do was not immediately be like, Sam, how could you? Because, I don't know, I'd be like, oh, no, is he really dead? And then Sam could have been like, yeah, I found him like this. I also am extremely (laughs) horrified who could have done this. I I would like to give some context to what you're saying. Sure. Because... I, I have think, such an aversion to this trope. It's really hard for me. <laughs> That's fair. I, I mean, the, it's it's not a good trope, in my opinion, either. I I also dislike sitcoms. The closest thing to a sitcom that I enjoy watching is Gilmore Girls, which mm-hmm. is only a sitcom, I think, by the loosest of storytelling mm-hmm. margins. 
Um, but so the the thing that makes the Abbey dwellers jump to this is that they is that Sam has gotten in trouble for shooting and almost killing people actually in the past Previously. with this bow before. Yeah. Uh, there, there is a notable Abbey dweller who Sam Sam shoots things near the Abbey dwellers for fun because he's the quote unquote troublesome kid. And there is actually a, and I don't remember the the species of creature right now who is walking around the Abbey with a permanent like like stripe separation in their fur from his arrow. So yeah. Sam having been playing around again and actually shot someone this time from the Abbey Dweller's perspective is not that far-fetched and it's not a wild accusation out of nowhere. It's also not like that. Okay. I have, I actually do have a couple of thoughts on this one, but they're not necessarily at Sam. I, I think in general in Redwall, this is just my opinion. And I have read a lot of these books. Mm-hmm. Uh, for context. So I'm not, I'm not only speaking about this particular book, but it's definitely this book. I think that the creatures who live in specifically the Abbey itself are really terrible disciplinarians. <laughs> oh, yeah. Just in general. Like, Sam gets in trouble for shooting things that are near another person. And instead of, and, and this is not the first time, right? Nope. But instead of teaching him, say, like safety with the bow. Mm-hmm. or any kind of accountability for his actions. Instead, it's just, well, it, it said literally it's just, well, we're just going to give you manual labor and tell you to confine you to a room for like 24 hours, and then you're free to go, and that's it. Nothing about that is going to actually change or mitigate or help his behavior. He's not to doing clear, it to be mean. He's be- He's just... He's he's literally not being taught. He's not being redirected. He's not being told what to do instead. He's not being told. He's not being given actual boundaries or hard limits. He's basically told, Sam, you did it again. And he's like, but I didn't aim that close this time. And they're like, bad child. And it's, it's like, hey, how about giving this kid, like, giving him, like, safety training? Because he does yeah. not have that at this point. There's nothing in the book that even evidences that there's been anyone who's given him any kind of boundaries like that, that he can even adhere to. He kind of is learning by trial and error how close is too close. Mm-hmm. And, like, that's it. And that's not that's not how you teach weapon safety. And to be clear, uh, this incident, this is when he shoots near somebody and freaks people out. Not when he gets accused of murder. Gets, That's right. separate. Right. This is earlier in the book. But also, in in the flip side of this, there. So his his punishment is being is given to name. I know I just typed it on here. Arula. No. Uh oh, Brother Hollyberry, who runs the okay. infir- infirmary. Um, and Brother Hollyberry's reaction is again not to teach him what else to do. Instead, it's not to hold him accountable for his actions in a meaningful way. Instead, Brother Hollyberry's reaction is, well, I don't like seeing you in trouble and I don't think the punishment fits the crime. So we're actually not going to punish you. Just tell everybody that I had you scrub my infirmary really well and here, have some candy. Mm-hmm. <laughs> like, th- like that's the flip side of the not redirecting or teaching accountability. It's literally just, no, I don't like it. Here, have some sugar and you're, you're, off the hook and i'll convince them that i worked you really hard like it's really bad it's really bad bad just parenting as a group it's bad group parenting and he doesn't learn the lesson (laughs) (laughs) like and redwall it's interesting because in these books it's consistent the people in the actual abbey itself are not good parents in this in this regard they just aren't there's other examples of very good parentage and very good responses from parents of of uh, tiny woodland creatures, but they never live in the Abbey. They're always somewhere else. I almost wonder if that should go in our next section, but that's okay. <laughs> For our next topic we're doing a little bit of a different thing because we noticed that there were five distinct parent-child pairings in the books all with different dynamics and i'm going to start us out by talking about laird mactallan and rokangas i love these two uh mactallan <laughs> is an amazing name for a falcon 
and I really want to know if if uh if um his son's name means what it means because I, I bet it means something and I just don't have yeah uh so what does Angus we- mean <gasps> is Angus means so- okay I'm gonna look this up while you talk sorry Four, Laird McTallan and Rokangus. We don't have enough of them to really see if they fight. Rokangus is extremely self-sufficient. We meet him when his wing is possibly broken, definitely very injured. And he basically calls his dad to have him come rescue him from the crows that just attacked him. Super excited to see him. They seem to work really well together. Uh, everything's going smoothly. If I sound so upbeat, it's because every one of these relationships is going to be a little bit complicated, if not necessarily worse than this one. Uh, again, not to say that they have some perfect relationship, but for what we see, they're like, they lean on each other without being like extremely codependent. They seem like they function really separately a lot of the time, but can come together when it really matters for something. And... Uh, apparently his name possibly means run choice based on our Googling. It means he's the chosen rock. <laughs> he's the chosen bird. The one oh chosen goodness. bird. The one ch- Oh, because rock is bird. Oh, that's yes. so good. It's All a right. Type. Yeah. Um, that's fun. Uh, we did some Googling. Log Log and Nordo are a shrew parent child father son. And they are great. They're actually a really, really solid example of good supportive parenting strong like support of a parent and and ba- and his parent logalog is in a a leadership position and his son is is essentially his second in command and mm-hmm. it's it's a good example of an executive officer who does his job and backs up his dad but he's not scheming he's not trying to jockey for power he's not trying to undermine him in any way shape or form but also, Logalog asks for his son's opinion on things, and it's teaching him things, quote unquote, on camera. Like he's he's still very much his father, and he, but he's he's teaching him how to be a good a good person and a good leader and a good like member of their their little tribe. And it's it's really great, honestly. <laughs> Uh, it's just it's just this really shining, wholesome example of a a father son pair that are are depending on each other. And there's a couple of moments where they have to depend on each other in in life threatening situations, and both of them are are just great at at supporting and keeping each other safe, and also keeping the rest of the members of their tribe as safe as possible. And it's just it's beautiful, honestly. All right, I'm gonna take it away for Lone Bud and Earth White. Uh, technically, Lonebud is also the fa- is also the mother of Earthstripe, but doesn't get to parent him at all. So yeah. for the one that she does get to parent, actually, technically, she's the grandparent. <laughs> um, she's super protective, acts a bit like a helicopter parent, oscillates between sheltering Earthwhite, even though he is fully grown. They are badgers, by the way. Uh, Oscillates between sheltering him and telling him about the gruesome murder of his parents and the loss of his brother, who is presumed dead, to them. Uh, To the point that hearing the name for Hago, who is the one who killed his parents, sparks a badger rage, which is kind of like a berserker rage, if you're familiar with D&D type things. Uh, It's and also non-D&D things. Berserker rages are a very old thing. Anyway, sparks a badger rage just at hearing this name because his mom has spent so, his grandmother has spent so much of his life telling him how awful it was that his parents were murdered um, when they were trying to make peace with Ferhago. And it's got a lot of this feeling of grooming for a position that you might never have and you're really never going to have it. And I don't know, just it feels like she did mm, a lot to actively traumatize him as he was growing up, because rather than having it be, your parents are gone, they were killed, it's, so they were killed, and it was like this, and the blood looked like that, or whatever. We don't know exactly what she said, but we get the impression that it was super dark. I just... Uh, for me, the way he freaks out just when someone says the name, yeah. just that he goes into that rage like that points to just a lot drilled in about this being just this awful, awful thing. 
Um, we pretty much just see them in this crisis mode, but also she uses him to scare people off the island. So our next pair uh, is Earthstripe and Mara. Earthstripe is a badger, and so is Mara. But Mara is not his biological daughter, I believe. Yep, that's true. Um, and Earthstripe is a very, a very strict, in a stifling kind of way, uh, parent. He mm-hmm. constantly is getting her in trouble. Well, not getting her in trouble. She is constantly in trouble with him because she doesn't do what he wants her to do. Or what she wants, yeah, he wants her to do. And she she just has her own opinions and she has her own thoughts. And we don't get a ton of, of kind of the setup for this. We really just kind of see the aftermath of his parenting of her. But it has resulted in something like, at the beginning of the book, she just leaves the mountain where they live, Salamandastron, and is gone for almost 48 hours and comes back. And he's terrified that she's dead or injured or lost and his and her response to him when he comes back he essentially just yells at her like how how could you possibly do this to me because this is not a way for you to have treated me by vanishing for that long you could have been dead and i wouldn't have been able to protect you how could you do that to me and her response is essentially quit trying to trap me i can do what i want mm-hmm. There is a whole, like, that, that to me looks like there is a whole background there of him controlling things that probably she was, you know, there would have been just better methods of, of teaching her. Again, kind of a similar thing to our, um, back in our, 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 uh, our second topic. Like, there would have been way better ways to, to redirect her and teach her why things were boundaries the way they were and help get her on board with, with her own safety, really, honestly. And instead, he went the yell at her until she does the things that he wants route, which absolutely did not work. And it, it has resulted in her basically basically not trusting him and not trusting that his boundaries have anything to do with her safety. And she thinks he's just trying to control her. And it's she, just, it's really toxic. And the one thing that I want to say is, like, she rebels by bringing home vermin and then he freaks oh out. Oh my gosh. Yeah. He freaks out that she brought home vermin, but also he was stifling her so much that she was like, you know what? I'm going to have friends you don't like and I brought them home. And yeah. She's like, he's like, you brought home friends I don't like. I'm kicking them out. And she's like, why'd you kick my friends out? Like, it's. And the, uh, the kicker on that part is that he is not wrong that they're scouting <laughs> the place to try and, like, kill them all. Like oh, he's, yeah. not, he's not he's wrong. not he's not wrong. They're absolutely they were absolutely that person that you that you know the parent sees is is not is going to be an actual danger to you and calls it but because you have a terrible relationship with your kid and you don't treat them very well instead of heeding any kind of of warning signs of this person being toxic or abusive or or whatever whichever real life equivalent you want to relate it to instead of being able to heed those warning signs the child just goes well like literally in this case you're not my real dad i'm gonna have friends that i want to i think even explicitly you're not my real dad um i'm pretty sure that was yeah yeah. it's at least implied by how much she she thinks about the fact that that point that he adopted her and that you Mm -hmm. know he's just trying to to make her in, in his image or whatever and it has a little yeah, bit of the really feel sad. of her saying, why don't you like my friend just because he's got like two tattoos and some green hair? And he's like, no, I don't like your friend because he <laughs> thinks that it's funny to juggle switchblades and then ask the baby if he wants to try it. Like, yeah, <laughs> it's kind of one of those. And she's like, but you, what if the baby was like me as a baby and wanted to try it, old man? And, and he's like, but wait, hold up. You could have died. And she's like, that was fine. Like, it's that. It's that over, clear, and over, no and over, and over. Involved, no, there's just, no like, baby. An- that was a made up example. But that is definitely her attitude toward her father, and it's it's really right. tragic. He's not wrong, but he is also prejudiced, so it's, like, weird. Yeah, <laughs> and, and also he's treated her to the point where, like, she doesn't know that he's not wrong. She doesn't trust him, so yep. it doesn't matter. All, All right. right, I think this next one also is going to go a little longer, because we got more to say, because, oh my goodness, for Hago and Glitch. <laughs> okay, so, All right. uh, we have... Uh, his full name, uh, in case you missed it in the list of people, he is the leader of the Corpse Makers, he is Ferhago the Assassin, and his son, Klitsch, is actively 
trying to undermine his authority, trying to kill him, arranges for some other people to try and assassinate him. Um, there's a bit where Ferhago is like, you know what, we're going to do it this way as long as I'm alive. And Clitch is like, yeah, as long as you're alive. Yeah. Um, yeah. Like, I'm, I'm going to kill you. Uh, they are father and son. There <laughs> is no word anywhere of a, a mother involved uh, <laughs> at all. Uh, no idea. Although, um, to be fair, in all of these examples, it has been one parent and one child. Well, true, but... So, this is this is not a, they're the assassin and the mother is gone. Like, every no, single one we've talked about has had a single parent. They've all uh, been single parents. Yes, we, un- we know what happened to Lombud's partner. Mm-hmm. We... Um, I don't think we know Earth Stripe, else. Earthstripe never had one. We don't right. know about Logalog, but also she's probably alive. She's just not on the boat with them. Right, but as like, far as like as far as the dynamic we we witness, it's always single parent to single child. It's never well, it's never I'm an more, example of co-parenting. Is yes, my point. but I'm also thinking of I don't think there's any there's no women in the corpse makers. Is the thought that I'm having? Why would you assume that? There's no one who is treated as a feminine character in the corpse makers that we see in the book. There's at least no specific uh, portrayals there's of women. This is not true of all vermin brands. Like other vermin bands in other books have definitely female characters. I'm just noticing it here. Okay. Um, I mean, it is also totally possible that Ferhaga basically said, "You, you, I need a child. You will be my wife for like." until they're born like that is totally a potential that's why i'm bringing Um, it up because like there's right because it feels like something like that might have happened yeah uh there's no like i'm gonna tell mom it's just like (laughs) they just hate they hate each other and they're trying to get people to make the other one die or while being able to have like plausible deniability of me I didn't do anything. Yeah, sure, the person I talked to 10 minutes ago just tried to kill you, but it was, you know, you're not going to be around forever. I don't know why you think you're immortal, but <laughs> I didn't I didn't do anything. Well, um, that's it's this really terrible, like, oh old gosh. person, young person fight. It's really just bad. I mean, Ferhago, at least at, at first, explicitly says, if you are plotting with my son, I will kill you. Mm-hmm. But you will not touch my son because this is my my chi- my property essentially. Yeah. So for progeny so, property, Cl- what's the difference? <laughs> right. Klitsch is definitely planning to murder his father. Oh yeah. His father, though, like put in effort for Klitsch to exist, <laughs> and presumably, like something happened. <sighs> right. Uh, but definitely, definitely threatens people for even thinking about oh yeah i I I just want to make that clear oh yeah he doesn't want anybody else as a second he wants his enemy right where he can see him right so uh that's the rundown of parent-child relationships in this book thank you for bearing with us through this lightning round uh (laughs) overall they run the gamut from actually pretty cool and doesn't really seem to be traumatic in this book to oh my goodness no positive interactions No even positive uh, mentions. Yeah. Like, like there is... Oh, my goodness. There's nothing. Ugh. <laughs> for the wrap-up and ratings, for the gratuity rating for Dry Ditch Fever, uh, what do you think? Um, I, I honestly, I think this one is mild. Yeah. Well, oh, I mean, oh, yeah. Yep. There, I mean, there's really not, there's no real graphic descriptions of anything. Like the most, we, we get like descriptions of essentially flu-like or like flu-like symptoms. And then we just mm-hmm. find out that someone is dead. Like there's, there's no on screen. There's no descriptions of bodies. There's nothing. There's people. Somebody leaves the room, comes back, someone's gone. Yeah, Doesn't, like they yeah. they they talk about feeling dizzy and that they're gonna go lie down in the infirmary, and that's the most even graphic symptom description in there. I think it's mild. 
which is kind yep. of impressive for an epidemic, <laughs> actually. Yeah. Especially because uh. as a reader, you absolutely know what's going on. Like, you oh, really, yeah. really do. But it's nothing, yeah, it's nothing difficult to read. Like I'm doing mental comparisons to how uh, Briar's <laughs> to book. Pierce's yeah. handled the same thing. Yep. Yeah. Yep. Um, for Sampkin and Arula. False accusation. False accusation, yes. Um, I think this is at uh, least moderate. Yeah. I don't want to go severe. No, no, but moderate. Um, it, it, the, the accusation doesn't, it doesn't last very long. Yeah. And there's, the consequences are low. Yeah. The distress is averted the distress is almost averted by other events yeah it had the potential to be extremely bad yes but it's a redwall book and it got (laughs) managed pretty well and mitigated and yeah you know and i don't mean that in a bad way at all no it was there is a definite there's a definite style for these they're made for middle schoolers and it was mitigated in a very reader protective way Mm mm-hmm um and, and 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 you know I would agree in a very classically Redwall reader protective plot clear plot yep. reason way but that's fine that's okay absolutely uh moving on to integral interchangeable or irrelevant for dry ditch fever <laughs> interchangeable it didn't have to be this but this is a really good thing to use did okay did this have to happen uh. Wait, no. Oh, wait. This is the this plot line is droppable. This plot line is completely droppable. Oh, you're right. The only two people who left the abbey where it mattered that they left the abbey had happened in, happened yeah, before to do with the this. fever. Yeah. You're right. I mean, I wouldn't want to give up Dumble and Thrug. The only thing it matters for is the framing device. It, but Yeah, it literally just just matters that our narrator is somehow part of the story, but like Sure. I mean, <laughs> As a yeah. pl- as a plot thing, I mean, Redwall is pretty plot dense anyway. Like, there's always multiple threads and converging in various angles. But this particular plot thread is pretty self contained for a Redwall book. And you know which one is droppable because it's definitely not the one that has to do with Salamandastron. You know, right. <laughs> that the title like is. If we had to pick one, yeah, absolutely. You're right. This is irrelevant. My goodness. It's a pretty uh, big section of the book to be irrelevant to the overall plot. <laughs> like, it's fun. I'm glad it's in oh, there. Oh, it's great. Yeah, it, it, has some of, right. it has some of my favorite moments of the book, but also it's completely irrelevant to the rest of the story. Yeah. I guess maybe it's it's levity in a dark time. <laughs> Jesus. Oh, wait, wait. Rephrase <laughs> this as the fever. The things that happen uh, because of... The things that happen in reaction to the fever are levity yeah. in a dark time. Yeah. The fever is not levity. I want to be clear about that. I don't think <laughs> epidemics are fun. No. no one in this book thinks that they're fun. I almost feel uh, like I almost feel like the I almost feel like this particular topic was inserted to occupy the to, abbey dwellers. Oh yeah. You know, like it's it's almost has that kind of a feel of like, well, we need something for them to do on camera. But if they hadn't had anything to do, the rest of the story would have just happened. Right. All right. I think that's enough time on an irrelevant topic. <laughs> it feels wrong, but I, I, I do agree with you. Moving on to false accusation is integral. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. This one is. Um, this one's integral. This one's integral. Parent-child relationships, also integral. All of them. Yep. Uh if you skip that section, there are five distinct and very interesting fa- parent-child dynamics we did, that we discussed. Yeah, we just kind of run in, through the differences. And we did, our, we did a lightning cool. round. Yeah. Um, but yeah, each of them is integral in a different way. Mm-hmm. So I think that's it for that. Was the trauma treated with care for dry ditch fever? Yes, oh, yes. Absolutely. Yes. <laughs> yep. So much care. So much care. Like, mild and care don't always have to go together. But this definitely does. Yeah. This definitely does. Yep. For false accusation, I... Enough? 
I think may either enough or no. I I'm very sensitive to this trope. I don't That's fair. I don't Well, okay. I just don't like this trope. Okay. Putting, but I do think it was aside, enough care putting that aside. I do yeah. think it was enough Say, care. Say putting aside just, the trope and focusing on the trauma. Oh sure. Yeah. I It wasn't just treated the the with care, was, but it was enough care. I'm just extremely sensitive to this trope. Not not that anything's happened. I just don't I just don't like it and it it irks me when it happens. But it's it's not a problem with the book. No. No, 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 no. It's it's actually a very it's that. actually very well done in the book. Yeah. Um parent-child relationships. Well, uh, <laughs> uh should we I would say so it's for Bactalan and Rakangus, we can't I do don't these think sep- there was anything well, to be careful can. about. Yeah. Logalog and Nordo was enough care. There, there were some things, care. the threats that they went under and things that they had to deal with were treated with pretty good mm-hmm. care, I think. Yeah. Lone Butt and Earth White, I think, was enough care with one very dramatic moment that speaks volumes about their relationship and is a really cool show not tell. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. So that's part of why I think that was with care. Earthstripe and Mara, that lingers so much. I don't think that was shown with care. I think that that I think it has... Was, I think it was more brutal than it had to be, honestly. Yeah. I would. I would almost argue that Earthstripe and Mara were more brutal than necessary, and Farago and Klitsch were less brutal than necessary. Yes. Okay, Which I is agree. interesting. Because mm-hmm. reading it, they almost feel, they feel very similar, but they're not. Right. I, I think a lot of work was done so that Earthstripe and Mara feel about as bad as Farago, bad as Farago and Klitsch, but, uh, which is not great. It's also very impressive writing. <laughs> That's mm-hmm. very like if that was intentional that yeah. that takes some skill. I as mm-hmm. just that's a particular type of writing skill and uh yeah, that's very it's very yep. interesting to read. Yeah. We actually wow. for uh, uh, for full disclosure here, we had originally now originally we didn't put them in a specific order, but when we started putting our our parent child pairs in order of escalation we actually flipped these two at one point because we started out with mara listed more severely than farago and klitsch and then we were like wait a second hold on (laughs) and we had to change it only one of these yeah only one of these has like (laughs) actual threats involved but like yeah it it was weird assassination attempts it was weird uh... because we definitely looked at it and was like "Ooh, but but mara sticks with in your brain and you've but it's not. It's definitely not as bad. Yeah. All right. It's weird. <laughs> yeah, and that's where the gratuity rating and the with care are two separate ratings for a reason. Yes, absolutely. Moving on to point of view. Uh, this camera jumps around so much. <laughs> I think jumps around. Oh my gosh. Oh my goodness. I'm the- not gonna uh, just on the off chance that we ever, in any way, shape, or form, try to publish our listings of. <laughs> how we've rated these books, which might happen at some point. There, there's a. It's it's not out of the running. It's just not our current plan, guys. Yeah. Everyone, I'm not listing individual names for these. I'm just not even going to to, to try. No, for the fever, no, we... we have a good like. I don't know, ten, twelve different names with okay, points of view on this. Let's put it this way: we we decided not to type. Decided to type and then decided not to read and read <laughs> about an equal number of names. And if you listened to our factions list, this was our longest factions list that I can recall. Uh, if, if, unless we record something that we haven't recorded yet and stick it in further I mean, just for kicks to get ahead of this of, uh, of all, record. Of all of the books that we even have, that I have any kind of a reference for that are even on our possible review list this is the longest list of characters that we would need to name like yeah. full stop and I, no questions i i typed up this list i didn't type everybody we could have typed no. and then we decided not to read about half of what we typed yeah we like, we could have easily read four or five times as many names and not run out of book characters 
Oh, yeah. This is one of those where every minor character gets a name. Like, a name and a backstory and a, a cool story from their childhood. And also that one thing that happened yesterday that floated through their head. Like, they get every, every, there is no such thing as an undeveloped character in this book. Every hare who wanders into the room with Earthstrike <laughs> has a, in the has mountain a full has a personality. Oh. Has a name and a personality. I love the Long Patrol, but. And I mean the group. <laughs> yeah. I also love the book, The Long Patrol. But oh my goodness, the there's so many characters. Like everybody is a person, and it's great for writing and terrible for podcasting. <laughs> oh my goodness. It, okay. It's, it's really good to read. It's awesome to read. Yeah, I am. So I'm just writing uh, for under say, under dry ditch fever for both our point of view and our point of trauma and, and the aftermath. I'm just writing too many. It's yeah. just a lot uh, of people. A lot of people who you have their point of view of them being sick. You have a lot of people of watching other people get sick. You have the point of view of technically both of our characters mm-hmm. who leave to avoid getting sick. You have the point of view of the person who is the adult. You also have the point of view of the child who grows up to be the narrator. Because you get him narrating the story. You literally have his point of view. Like, yeah. this whole book is his point of view, technically. Like, you technically. Technically. Um, but he is I, he I is the kid to it who goes as a on the framing device. Yeah, it's it's just it's a framing device, not an active narration. I want to be clear about that. Yeah, that's two different it, ways. It to is, but it. it's also like we definitely do know what this child thought because he's the one telling the story. Um, it, it's just there's a lot, a lot that point of view jumps constantly. Um, false accusation we, again. We get like five different people. <laughs> Yeah, we get, because we get, um, Samkin, Arula, uh, the. Separately. Separately, even. right. We get, um, the infirmary nurse. We get, um. The guy who accused The him. guy who accused, well, yeah. Ish. And the mother, yeah. the abbess mother. And, like, and I think we even get a couple other people who, like, comment on it. Oh, everybody's it. weighing in and talking. Everyone has, about a, it. has an opinion. Yeah. And it's third person, so it's not even, there isn't even one central person where we get. Like, they're only their thoughts or something. Like, everyone is equal, has equal say. Yep. And then uh, we have five pairs of people. We get their perspectives, and we also get everybody else who runs into them able to see their relationship. <laughs> yeah. This, oh my goodness, It's this is like, this is the opposite of The Hunger Games in terms <laughs> of the point of view. Yeah. Because The Hunger Games, it's all Katniss. All and Katniss this, all day. Everybody possible. Um, it's not. It's I'm, not done. I do want to. Oh, it's not confusing to read. At, at least not for us. It was not. It, it might be confusing if you're someone who has trouble keeping track of too many. Ca- I mean, really, honestly, if if you are someone who has trouble keeping track of multiple characters or multiple. Co- uh, this is not the series for you. <laughs> yeah, multiple storylines. If you need things pretty clear cut and like threads that are. Like, they're, they're very disparate storylines. They're very clearly separated, but they do jump back and forth quite a lot. They jump back and forth between who is talking and seeing and what's going on and what even what part of, like, this mini section of the world you're in and who you're around. And if, if that is hard, this is not a good series for you. <laughs> like, it's, a, but it's an amazing it's series. A- it is incredibly difficult to read if that is hard to, for you to track. But I would say that if you read them in publishing order, you might have a chance at training your brain to do that. That's fair. He does get more convoluted as the series goes. Yeah. Yeah. That's that, that, that's a good point. Yep. This is not the first book published. This is just no. the one where it's like, we know that we will have things to talk about. This is something like the 10th or 15th book published, actually. Somewhere around really? there. Really? That late? Oh, yeah. Well, that early. There's huh. so many books in this series. <laughs> I, I, full dis- so with with that, I only know. Hey, this book is as old as me. That's fun. <laughs> oh, cool. Um, yeah, yeah. And he, I don't think he's he didn't stop for a, a good while. Like, I don't think he stopped till he died. Pretty much. Um, yeah, yeah. I, I, I think a couple titles came out after he died because they were written and just weren't. Yeah, out yet. Yeah, and he, yeah. And uh, uh, like, in case you can't tell, we both we re- we read a lot of these. We <laughs> sad. really liked the series. 
Uh, I, I would even compare, and I, I'm not saying that if you've read this other series that this one is comparable in any way, but I think with convoluted plot lines, if, if you're somebody who really, really enjoys Wheel of Time and its plot lines and character density specifically, and you would like another, another fantasy series that is like a different context and different characters and, I mean, different you know, if you want some standalone books that have a similar density, this is this is absolutely a series you should read. And if and, and that does not work the other way around, I love this. I can't get <laughs> well, into Wheel of Time. It could, I just, it could work the other way around. If you like this type of plot density and also Game of Thrones, I would well, read okay, Wheel then. of Time. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. So. Uh, um, but yeah, it's a it's a if if that's a good reference point for anybody. It's a similar plot density and character density to Wheel of Time. And plot convolution and perspective jumping. And it's, it's very, very, very similar. Totally not the same story, though. If you dislike, Wheel of, Time, if you dislike Wheel of Time for character or story or plot or context reasons, you still might like this. But. Yeah. Uh, do you have an aspiring writer tip? <laughs> I think we just gave it. Oh. <laughs> Maybe by accident. Uh... I no because I don't think make your plots more complicated. Oh, that's not the maybe tip. Maybe your readers will like real of time. That's, I don't think that's a good tip. No, that, that's I don't not know what, what I meant. The tip. Um, what was your tip? <laughs> just that uh, I don't know. Just that this is a really good example of a convoluted plot that still makes sense and multiple plot lines that don't. It, we one of our major traumas that takes up a good portion of this book we labeled irrelevant, and we wouldn't cut it for anything. Oh no, we're so glad it's in the book. Yeah. Like I, I feel amazing. like I feel like that's just the tip is that this is a very good example this is a very good series and a very good book example of how to write multiple plot lines and convoluted plot lines and in and, and, and plot lines that don't even intersect necessarily in a way that the reader cares. I know how to turn this from praise into a tip. Okay. Alright. So here's my thought. So part of the key to this working, even though it might be convoluted, is because for every one of these plot lines, you have a central, usually pair Mm -hmm. of characters who are going places and they are the ones being followed. Mm -hmm. Um, So so we have the the pair of vermin who visit the abbey. Um, We have different pairs that like go out from the horde and come back and like they all get followed and mm-hmm. they get tracked and it's discussed whenever they intersect and there's just enough when they haven't intersected with anybody that even minor pairs show up and it means that you you get a feeling of them like crisscrossing across the land yeah um and yeah. there's a sen- there's a sense of space in these books oh definitely and be- because like these people are traveling, they crossed this path here, they crossed that path here, they ended up at the Abbey, they left the Abbey. And even though you're bouncing around in the storyline, because you have kind of anchoring pairs um, of people, and it wouldn't have to be pairs, but in no, this book, it's this, almost always pairs. Yeah. But because you have these these anchoring characters, and then what lets there be so many characters is that <laughs> everywhere they go, there's a bunch of people they talk to. Yeah. But then those people kind of stay put, and our point of view <laughs> pairs move along. That's actually a really that's a really good point because even the the one group that we the two groups that we do actually see moving as groups, we don't hear mm-hmm. from every single every nope like we don't heal from every single one of the horde we don't hear from from every single person in a canoe <laughs> we we do no, we, we kind of stick to our central people and if even it's when we get pe- a if second, it's multiple people even moving. when someone needs to intersect with the gossam again you just have like a different gossam chieftain yes and then they meet up with all the gossam anyway so yeah yeah that's that's yeah. a very good point it's very it's a lot, but it's incredibly yeah. grounded. If you're going to have a lot of characters, follow them 
specifically and don't try to follow everybody you don't need to it's not worth it that's my tip okay i like that tip what's your favorite non-traumatic thing about the book i think mine has changed in the time we've been spent discussing it (laughs) this is why oh really this is why i don't write things down ahead of time because my opinions i i reformat my brain like a computer hard drive a lot uh interesting not what I do. What have recompile from what you wrote down? So I would actually want to state what I wrote down because I still think it's amazing. I originally wrote down just how the, I really enjoy how the the characters and the 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 speech patterns of the characters specifically are are there in the text. They're there in the text in a way that is incredibly phonetic and. Even me as a child, I heard these characters as voices in my head, and it was so distinct. And it's just very, it's very consistent, and it's very, it's very, it's incredibly descriptive. And it's so much better than blah, 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 such and such said in a posh English accent. <laughs> like, I can't, I can't Wait, visualize really that. I can't that. hear that. If I, if I see your words written in my vernacular and then I see like a tag that's like, oh, by the way, this is accented. Like that, that doesn't translate to my brain, but reading the I've accent. I that do that. Oh, you have. I know you have. I think we've even read a couple yeah. on this podcast already. Hmm. I was trying to call one. I remembered one we haven't read for this podcast that we're not going to read for this podcast because you, you. No, it's fine. <laughs> yeah, but but this one definitely. It, you you pick through the accent and you hear it once you kind of get the flow of it. And I think I think flow of of different dialects and different accents and different ways of speaking is very very difficult. And this book just and- does it in a way that's very visual and very literal. Um, but it's not necessarily accurate to the way things – it's not always accurate to the way things would actually have been spelled if this person was writing or speaking in a, in a dialect. It's incredibly right. phonetic in a way that you read it the way you're supposed to hear it. And that's hard. And, that's uh, really hard to do. And if you're uh, listening to us, you can tell that we're American. And if you're reading this, you can probably tell – if you're reading the transcript, you can probably tell from the spelling, we're American. Uh <laughs> Our understanding is that these dialects for all the different species in this whole series are based off of different dialects and accents um, in uh, the UK. Yeah, um, well, kind of. Ish, like not, not all of them. Not bounded that specifically, but, but a lot of them are pulled from, my understanding is a lot of them are pulled from different dialects in, yeah. in England and Scotland and, you know, just. So that was originally my favorite thing. And then I re I re talked through this book in this episode, and I think Dumble is my favorite. <laughs> I think that I think yeah. honestly the relationship between um uh Dumble and Thrug is my favorite thing. I just mm-hmm. it's great. It's so and it and it's it's relatively rare in 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 adventure stories like this that you see just an adult caring for a child in a way that that child is is upheld the, especially when they're not related to each other they're not even the same species of animal and thrug is supportive cares for and also is protective and teaches dumble and is just is just a super positive adult parental figure for this little baby dormouse and it it's so like an adventure stories he, he's not his mentor he's not his specifically his teacher he's not an adventurer who's just trying to make friends like no he's very much a a substitute parent and it's just this really strong healthy relationship and also dumbles hilarious <laughs> i just really like that yeah all right my favorite thing Okay, super quick. I love Farron the Poisoner. Uh, we haven't really talked about him at all. He's a fox. He never talks. He's great and also terrible because he's a poisoner. And he does what goes with that title. Um, I love the foxes in Redwall just as a type of character. And he is um, terrible, but well-written. 
All right, so my actual, my favorite non-traumatic thing, because I don't think Fair and the Poisoner gets to be a favorite non-traumatic thing. <laughs> my favorite non-traumatic thing is the food in this book. Uh, if you've ever seen a Hayao Miyazaki film, the Redwall books are the text equivalent of a Hayao Miyazaki film. Like, I was like, I, as a child, I was like, I need strawberry cordial. Uh... I, I need it. I need strawberry cordial after reading these books. And I found strawberry pop at Kroger and had that. And it was great. And I would pretend I was having strawberry cordial. This These books make me want to eat this food and just see it. Ah, so well described. Uh, my favorite specific food mentioned a couple times in this book. It's mentioned elsewhere in other books, which is why I saw it. it was like, ah, this one. The name of this pie. Deeper and ever turnip and tater and beetroot pie. It's great. Uh, there's comments made about, you know, some mole is going to, I think it was a mole, uh, was just going to fall into the pie and then eat their way out. Like, these <laughs> things are massive. Like, com- like they don't need to say this thing was as big as a whatever. They can just have somebody say, I'm going to fall into that pie and eat my way out. Like, yeah. just really cool, inventive ways of making this feasts and food feel gigantic and awesome. Uh, and that's mine. That's it for Salamandastron. Thank you so much for joining us. All music used in this podcast was created by Nicole as Heartbeat Art Co. and is used with permission. You can follow us on Twitter at Books That Burn, all one word. You can email us with questions, comments, or book recommendations at bookstatburn at yahoo.com. Support us on patreon.com slash bookstatburn. All patrons get access to our upcoming book list and receive a one-time shout out. You can leave us an iTunes review. This helps people to find the show. And find us on iTunes, Stitcher, Google Play, or wherever you get your podcasts. Thanks for for listening. We'll be back in two weeks.